Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Consulting Trap. I'm your host, Brian Maddox. With me today is Alexandra Reese from OPA Strategy. Welcome, Alexandra. Hello, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your background and OPA Strategy and kind of how you got all that started? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in the consulting and coaching business my entire career. I got my first job just out of college doing this work and really fell in love helping clients solve their most novel and complex challenges. Um, I started out as an economist because I thought data has all the answers. And it turns out people don't make decisions just because the data say it's a good idea. Um, which is what ultimately led me into doing more strategy, leadership, and organizational development work, because I wanted to learn how to do the people process side. I now bring those two things together and help clients to uh, see what's happening in the world outside them, make sense of their opportunities and the direction forward, um, and then do the work inside and with their teams to make sure that they're able to work together, show up as their best selves and move forward as one. How, how did you start the business and how long ago was that? Great question. I started OPA Strategy actually one year ago, I believe last week. So just hit my one year anniversary. And you know, it's a interesting series of events that led me to start my business. The short version is I was doing a lot of strategy work with Fortune 500 companies. And I would sit in the strategy room. Everyone would nod in agreement that, yes, this is our plan. And then they would leave and do the same thing they were doing before, as if we had never had a strategy. And when I started to ask why, I realized each of the leaders had these stories they were telling themselves, these beliefs about what was possible, and they were self-limiting. And I knew that I wanted to learn to do strategy in a different way that helped people to really do the work inside so they can do the great work together. And that's what led me on a journey to becoming a coach. And I really wanted to leave in try doing things differently on my own without having to socialize an idea or get buy-in from a leadership team before diving in. So that's what ultimately led me to think, now's the time. Quest for greater agility is one that I think a lot of us are on, right? The the corporate organizations tend to steer um, uh, in very, very wide turns, whereas the smaller business groups and stuff like that, they can turn on a dime. Uh, which is great. So you, you've you now got the freedom and flexibility in your own practice. Um, how did you leverage that desire into your first couple clients? You know, I'm a big believer in putting your intentions out there and letting the universe do some of the work for you, um, so to speak. So I actually made the choice to leave when I had two clients who'd reached out to me Uh, from one of my prior organizations that I'd worked at, some engagements there. Um, So I left when I had two clients in the books and six months of runway with revenue, which really allowed me to uh, have some time to experiment with my messaging, experiment with my positioning, and frankly, recover from burnout, which was pretty intense at that time. 
these experiments that you conducted, um, what was your biggest learning uh, in those process? And I know that's like a really heavy question. So you may have multiple uh, answers to it and that's okay. I'd love them itemized and uh, inventoried if you would. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll share my biggest insight because I, I did think that might be a question you would ask. Um, and that is get a coach and get an advisor and get a support team early. I felt like I've been doing this for 12 years. I know how to build a practice. I've just got to dive in and do it. And I underestimated the uh, real differences between building a consulting practice under a large firm with a well-known brand and building a consulting practice under my name and a totally new company name. And I wished that I would have reached out and cultivated that network of coaches, advisors, and supporters early on. I really waited until earlier this year. And once I did that, things really started to click into place for me. So what does that mean when you say they started to click into place? I, you know, a lot of folks, um, they have their aha moment, but they can't really quantify um, the the delta, the change between, you know, before and after. So when you say things started to click, what does that mean? That's a great question. As you know, and as I'm sure your listeners have heard through the number of episodes you've done, there are a lot of different things you can do in the sphere of marketing and business development. And I felt like I was really throwing spaghetti at the wall. And I was doing a few things, not particularly well, and I wasn't enjoying the process. And by reaching out and starting to cultivate that network, my advisor helped me to really understand out of the universe of things you could do, what are your strengths and what do you love doing? And how do we take those and figure out the subset of things you should do? and then scale that. And then working with a coach really helped me to address all of those you know, limiting beliefs, negative messages I was telling myself, all of those really deep-rooted deep stories and beliefs that were deep inside that creep up when we push ourselves to do new things because we go into a fear response Initially, we go into fight or flight mode, and that's when all those negative messages crop up because they're there to protect us from doing something stupid and taking too big of a risk. But sometimes if you want to take any risk, you've got to learn to deal with those so that you can do big things. And that, that was the other piece that clicked for me was really being able to um, work through those change them. And that's what enabled me to start really loving the process and loving what I do. And that was where the change happened. That's awesome. So that leaning into the the discomfort uh, was sounds like a really vital part of um, that uh, thought change, that sea change in your mind, and I guess in your heart as well. So as you've approached, uh, as you've approached that, how is that that risk tolerance informed your current sort of go-to-market activity? The funny thing is, I think the biggest insight I had around risk is that none of this is very risky. The biggest thing that was at risk was my ego. 
And as soon as I let go of needing to feed my ego and focused on how can I wake up every day and provide value to the world, the risk went away because it was about how do I take the gifts I have? How do I take the skills that I have and help other people to accelerate their growth and to find confidence, ease, and joy in the process? That's great. The uh, how do I wake up every day and provide value as a um, is one of the things that I think a lot of the folks that get into the consulting, consulting and coaching space um, really feel as a pressing need. Um, and, and so balancing that against the demands of things like revenue and business starts to become a meaningful conversation because you get that whole, you get, you know, you have imposter syndrome, you have a, well, I'll just show up and help and we'll get paid on the back end. How did you turn that ambition and desire uh, into a, a reliable revenue stream for the business? I stopped thinking about the money. That's the short answer. I One of my biggest strengths is I'm great at talking to people. And I'm really good at asking empowering open-ended questions that help people to identify what's possible for them and their organizations, uncover those deep-rooted challenges and opportunities, find a path forward, and then figure out how to start taking the next best steps. And so I leveraged that strength for me and said, okay, how do I go use that to add value? So I literally every single day talk to two new people. And those are, it started with people in my network already. And then I asked every person I talked to, who else do you know who might benefit from the value I have to provide? And so it started to grow exponentially from there. And I just use those conversations to try and add a little value in 45 minutes to somebody's life. And when you add value with no expectation of value in return, that builds trust in a relationship. And when you have that seed of trust, people start to look for opportunities to continue to build and strengthen the relationship. And that's when you can start to look for monetization opportunities where you're adding value and you're receiving value in return. That's awesome. That's uh, that whole, uh, I guess it's that um, mentality, what goes around comes around, right? You're yes. going to, but you have to, you have to put yourself out there first. So when it comes to um, how you're using, so, so you talked about talking to two new people a day. How is your outreach work? What do you do specifically? What are the tactics that you're taking, undertaking to, to make sure that you get those two new contacts every day? Great question. So it started again with my network. So I quite simply made a list of everyone I knew who I thought might either benefit from my services or uh, would know people who could benefit from my services. And then I just walked and tackled and I went, I actually started with people who were lower stakes in the beginning so that I could get really comfortable with my value proposition, which is to uh, partner with leaders and leadership teams to accelerate their growth and create more confidence, ease, and joy in the process. And I really wanted to hone those skills around how do you, in 45 minutes, 
ask questions, add value, and then close with action. And then once I felt comfortable with my messaging, my approach, then I moved into those what felt like at the time higher stakes people on my list who I knew were really well connected or I knew had issues I could solve. Um, so that was part one. And then I asked an open-ended question at the end of all of those conversations and said, who do you know? And that led to an expansion. I had, I will say that didn't go very well at the start. I was asking people for referrals without enough clarity around what were the titles of my ideal buyers, uh, what were the needs I could solve. And I didn't have an easy way for people to make an introduction uh, that didn't require them to know if somebody had a problem. So I had to really get specific in there and start to experiment with different ways that I could make those uh, referral asks more clear and lead to better results. And through that, I will say my best referrals have come when I have found a business or a leader in the news or on LinkedIn that I think they need help and I'm the right person. And then I go and find, you know, how can I get a connection to them so that I have a warm introduction? That has led to the best leads and the best conversations because people today are spammed with cold outreach emails. I get probably three to five a day and I hate them. So I never want to spam other people with random cold outreach emails. And I found that when I get an introduction to somebody through somebody they already know and trust, they always respond. There's never a question whole process, that relationship building sort of uh, conversation, how, how do you anticipate that scaling as you grow? I know, um, you know, it's pretty important to be central to those relationships you're trying to build, but the scaling and growing part of that sounds to be a challenge, particularly when you're a one-person shop or a small team. That's a great question. And I did, I thought a lot about that, knowing that your audience, I think, is pretty diverse in terms of their uh, current state and their ambitions. And I'll say what's worked for me is a really good system for other um, single uh, solo entrepreneurs or small consultancies that do very high value work. Because I don't need a lot of clients and I don't want a lot of clients. What I want are high value clients where I can add a lot of value. And I do value-based fees. So I meet with a client through that discovery process. We understand, you know, what are the outcomes? What's the value of those outcomes? And then I charge one-tenth of the value that I think I can provide. And my goal is one-tenth of the value should be a significant amount for me so that I only need to work with you know, anywhere from three to eight clients at any given time. I'd say about five is my sweet spot. And if that number isn't going to lead to enough value for the client, it means I'm not the right fit and I can refer them to someone else who is. So that's really my goal around pipeline management. Um, but that does, it, it doesn't need to scale. 
for me to get what I need. Gotcha. I think I think that's an interesting um, uh, point that a lot of folks forget. Right. The the quest with business for most folks is always, um, you know, more because more business is better. Um, but it sounds like you've yeah. got a, a real idealized sort of top end for what that looks like for you in your practice. How did you come to those um, uh, goals? How did you get to that um, understanding that that's where you wanted to be? That's a good question. I will say it started with spending 12 years helping businesses and corporations create strategic plans, growth strategies, innovation plans, et cetera. Everyone wants to grow. And I always would ask why. Why do you want to grow? What is that in service of? And most people didn't have an answer. They just had in their mind, that's what you do. You grow or you die. And so I knew from experience that growth alone is not a good motivator because things will get tough. Growth is hard to sustain. If you grow, you typically need to bring new people on. I mean, that is tough work. And you have to have a motivation that is deeper than just growth for the sake of growth. And so when I started my business, I spent those six months of runway really digging deep to think about what's the life I want to create and what's the value I want to provide. And at least in this stage for me in my business and in my life, I would like to help fewer organizations, but do so in a way that is really high impact. And this feels like the right path. Now, all that being said, that may change in five years. If we talk again, I could have a large team and be doing totally different work or be looking to scale. I'm not sure what the future holds, but that's part of the joy. That's, you, you know, understanding the, I want to say the work-life balance, but because that, I think that trivializes in many ways, what is the work for folks in the consulting field like us? There, there is no work-life balance. My, my work is my life in a way. Um, it's creating value, right? <laughs> creating value is is um, particularly being able to leverage your knowledge and skills and experience and turn that into positive outcomes for folks is vital to the consulting sort of practice, and that feels central and core. So it is awesome that you have uh, you kind of gotten there and and don't want to uh, don't want to grow beyond the ability to deliver that value. That's that's an amazing discovery that a lot of small business owners and a lot of consultants don't get to until um, they've got the juggernaut and they don't know what to do with it. Like, <laughs> great, I've got 35 people now working for me and I can't stand admin. <laughs> I know a lot of uh, consulting business owners that I've met over the course of my life or my career that were in that exact same situation. And then it feels almost like an unsolvable puzzle because you've, you have a responsibility to the people that you've brought on board. You have a responsibility to the clients that you work with. And I take that responsibility very seriously. I've worked for leaders who have never laid a single person off. And that's the type of leader I'd like to be. I'd like to be very judicious about when I grow and have it be rooted in a clear why, 
so that I can make sure that I'm really living up to that value that I hold close. And I think that's that's the guidance I would give to all business owners is know your why. Know your why personally. Know your values personally, because those are the things that allow you to make those tough calls or find an answer when it seems like there isn't a right answer. And then create those for your organization, because those provide the really critical filters that you can use to make decisions about when and how to grow. It becomes a lot easier when you know what are we trying to accomplish in the world. And in pursuit of that accomplishment, what are the principles and priorities that we hold close about how we work together? And if you have those two things, making those decisions about scaling becomes infinitely easier. That is awesome. And so I, I, we could talk about this uh, at, at length because it's uh, it's such an important part of where the the kind of the heart and soul of you know being an entrepreneur meets with the practical uh, aspects of business. Um, but as we are going to run out of time here in the next minute or two, um, I want to make sure to first thank you for being on the show. And then I wanted to invite you to tell us um, how folks can reach out to you and who, who should be connecting with you. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. This has been a real treat uh, to get to share some insights from my journey and hopefully pay it forward to other entrepreneurs. Um, for those who'd like to have a conversation, um, you can reach me at opastrategy.com. That's O-P-A strategy.com. Or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I do post a lot of thought leadership on LinkedIn about how to accelerate your growth through improving your leadership. So if those are topics that are of interest, I'd encourage you to check out some of my posts. Um, the people I work with most frequently um, are leaders of organizations looking to grow and scale or make some big changes. Um, and the way I typically help is, again, helping them to figure out what's our opportunity, given what's happening in the world and our organization, and how do we create a path forward? And then how do we do the work inside so that we can deliver with greater confidence, ease, and joy? So if that's something that people are craving more of in their life and they would like that thought leader and partner, I would love to have a conversation. Thank you so much. And I have one last question before we go. Can you, you, you mentioned in, earlier in the uh, conversation and it may or may not survive editing. We'll have to find out. Um, but you mentioned earlier in the conversation about a book. Uh, and I'm, so I'm looking for the title of that book again and the author, if you have it, and then any additional recommendations you might have for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. There are a few books I often recommend. So I'll give you my short list. Um, the first is The Trusted Advisor. That book, um, my first mentor gave to me, and I still open it up today and look for tips and ideas around how to have difficult conversations or move things forward amidst difficult circumstances. Um, that book is a great Bible for any consultant who wants to build stronger relationships with their clients. Um, the second book I'd recommend is Value-Based Fees. 
Um, and that's by Alan Weiss. He has a new third edition out. And that book provides exceptional resources, um, everything from how to think about you know, deal making and setting fees to here are scripts you can use in your client calls to here are some ratios to consider as you're figuring out, given these outcomes, what should you charge? Um, so that book, I think, is a great tool for anyone who wants to think about setting fees differently. Um, and then a third book, and this is maybe a bit of a dark course, uh, but it's called This is Service Design Doing. And it's all about tools for how to do human-centered design. So essentially, how do you put the person at the center of what you do and plan around that? And those tools, I think, are not only helpful for businesses so that they can do better customer-centered work, but I've, I've seen a multitude of ways that I've been able to apply those tools in different contexts with my clients to help them be more customer-centered or employee-centered. So being able to bring those tools to bear today, if you don't already, I think can be a great differentiator. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if you guys get a chance when you're listening to this, do go check out those resources. Um, I'm acquainted with uh, a couple of them and they are absolutely terrific. Thank you again, Alexander, for being on the show. Um, please check in with us and let us know how your journeys go in the next couple of months. I will. Thank you so much, Brian. It was a pleasure to be here today. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Consulting Trap. If you have suggestions for future episodes or would like to be a guest on our show, please send me an email at brian at podcastchef.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at P-O-D-C-I-S-T-C-H-E-F dot com. Before we go, we'd like to thank the sponsor of our show, Podcast Chef. Podcast Chef helps turn ordinary podcasting into a revenue-generating lead magnet for your consulting business. Our podcasting done-for-you service takes away the headache of starting up and running your own podcast. Reach out now to take advantage of our 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit us at podcastchef.com to find out how our team of experts can help you leverage podcasting to take your business to the next level. Hey, you. Yes, you. It's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet. Or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. Uh, we will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, what are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks. Thanks.